Hello everyone and welcome to Placing Faces, the show where we sit down with the most influential casting directors in all of Hollywood and across the entertainment spectrum. I'm your host, Charlie Chappell, and today we sit down with casting director, baker, and organizer slash head of Cause for Entertainment, Jessica Sherman. Don't let Jessica still being so early in her career fool you into thinking she's not up to much. With six films and shorts out in 2018, six in 2017, one of which, Slight, caught the Audience Award nomination at Sundance the year before, a TV show in production, and seven other projects slated, she's working. A lot. A career that spans working as an assistant with the legendary April Webster on both reboots for Star Trek and Star Wars, and dozens of projects on her own, Jessica shows no signs of slowing down, and I think she's one to keep an eye on. So, I'm gonna stop talking now and I'm gonna let Jessica tell you her story. I hope that you learn as much as I did. First, I have to say, your view is pretty amazing. It's never going to happen again. <laughs> never going to happen again? Why is that? We usually have offices where we're, our tape rooms are kind of makeshift closets. Uh-huh. So this was like a magical thing that probably I'm going to enjoy as much as I possibly can because I, it doesn't happen often. I mean, you see everything. You see yeah. all of L.A. down to the ocean, downtown. It's pretty incredible i'm i'm enjoying it a lot yeah how long have you guys been here at this office um i where are we now july so i think four almost four months so first i want to get into we'll, we'll get into the casting stuff that's what this podcast is about um but let's talk about cause for entertainment this is a big labor of love for you it's been around since 2015 yes in an attempt to support breast cancer awareness yes so tell me about that. It's it's a really wonderful cause. You've brought a lot of people together. What was the impetus for it? Um, for it kind of stems from two different uh, motivations. Or yeah, um, the first was my grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was actually just first starting out in this industry, mm-hmm. um, and she was my best friend growing up. So it was a very difficult thing to witness her going through such a hard time and it wasn't only breast cancer for her but it was also colon cancer at the same time so it was really very difficult um and she thankfully survived that um which she brought it strong she's very strong but it brought it brought she was 70 when she was diagnosed so it brought other challenges along mm-hmm. the way and she ended up passing a few years afterwards um so that was like a huge catalyst for me there but also um when i before I got into casting, I worked in voiceover at a voiceover agency. Mm-hmm. And there was a woman who became my friend very quickly. And we kind of overlapped a matter of six months when I first started working there. And she ended up getting let go. Um, and two months after she was let go from the company, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she was 40 years old. She didn't have any insurance now. She Her family is from the Midwest, so she didn't have them here. So it was a very eye-opening experience to witness her go through that by her not by herself but like almost but to not have the family <laughs> to not, around not have not, the family yeah. but also not have that huge importance of like insurance backing so sure. you see how all of these smaller organizations really come to light and come to back people that are faced with this diagnosis that are local to the community mm-hmm. and so for me that was such an experience to witness that that I felt like I needed to get more involved somehow. And so after that, I started doing the Avon Walk for Breast Cancer. And I had done that for about six years. And on average, we had raised, I mean, myself, just 
as an individual walking, I'd raise r- roughly $4,500 every year, which was a lot of money to yeah. me and still is. <laughs> um, but uh, it after, I think it was my sixth year, 2014, I completely destroyed my feet in the last walk because it's it's 39 and a half miles in two days which That's it's a, a walk walking. it's different than a run but sure. it's still a lot yeah um so i destroyed my feet in that last year and avon had this thing before that you could do like a diy event and so i thought well if i'm not doing this maybe i can put something together and get like the industry behind it mm-hmm. and so i started wrangling people and and um auction items and raffle items and all sorts of things that I could get my hands on and decided to do an event, uh, kind of like a variety show situation. Yeah. And at the time I was working on Bates Motel and the Strain and both of those uh, productions were super supportive. Um, they donated set visits and uh, Kevin cool. Durand and Miguel Gomez came to the event and it was a really um, amazing way to see Everybody kind of come together for something that they can, that, you know, cancer touches so many people, whether it's you yourself or people around you. So everybody can relate and support this one cause. Um, and it's just grown tremendously over the last it sure four has. years. <laughs> How much have you raised up to this point? Um, including last year's, we had just passed a hundred thousand dollars, which was great. Cause in our first year we raised going from $4,500 for the walk, uh-huh. um, in our first year we raised $18,000, That's just incredible. like pulling things together, bare bones, uh-huh. you know? And, uh, and the second year we raised $40,000 and last year, Quite 42 yeah. and, and then some change along the way, people uh-huh. throwing in things last minute. So Yeah. It's it's definitely grown a lot. And is I assume that there's going to be another one yes. soon. Yes. When um, is that? Sunday, October 7th. That's my birthday. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> Great. That sounds awesome. Yeah. So how do people get involved with it? How do people show up? How do people that are listening, if they want to donate something or be a part? Um, so you can go to our website, which is a cause for entertainment.com. Um, we're going to, we also have social media platforms going on all fronts. Uh, Instagram is at a cause for entertainment. Um, Twitter is a cause for ENT. Um, and then we also have a Facebook page and you, that'll lead you through to the donate pages through there. If you want to volunteer, we're always looking for volunteers for the day of and, and leading up to, um, the website is where you'll find that information as well. Um, and this year we're, um, our two beneficiaries are, uh, Dr. Susan Love Research Foundation mm-hmm. and Shea Sharp's Pink Wishes. And okay. they're wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, that's it's really great to be able to talk about something like that uh, up front in these conversations, I think, because it there's a humanity that uh, I don't think casting directors are given right. very often. You know, it's a I've, I've referred to it multiple times on the show as like we as an actor, mm-hmm. we walk into this oftentimes blue room mm-hmm. with a Canon HD camera and a, a background and we say our words and we leave and it's just this black box of we don't know what's going on before, right. we don't know what's going on after. So I think it's important to to figure out the passions of uh, casting directors right. as well uh, outside of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but being that this is a show about casting directors <laughs> and the industry, uh, let's step back to the beginning, mm-hmm. um, which is always a good place to start, and the story of your life. Where did you come from? How'd you get here? Uh, strangely enough, I'm a native. 
Los Angeles. You know what? I've met, dude, I've met two of you now. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. I've been here 10 years, two of you. Oh, wow. Yeah. You get to be the unicorn sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was born in Los Angeles and stayed here for a little bit, and then my family moved out to Palmdale. Um, but my grandparents lived in Koreatown, so I was here all the time. Mm-hmm. So native, not native, it depends on how you want to categorize it. Sure. But I was born at Cedar sinai <laughs> Native. Native. Yeah. Um, and my parents are originally from Ukraine, so okay. um, it was very much, you know, family business, doctor, lawyer, CPA, pick something practical and uh-huh. stable. Um, and leading up to my choice of career, uh, you know, I studied business, I d- studied economics, just to the safe, you know, most actors also do this as like the safe oh, backup, yeah. check the box. Mm-hmm. Um so, I was an engineer. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a, a, that's lot a big leap, too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that to kind of satisfy my parents. And at the end of it, a friend of the family had, she worked in international distribution. And she, we were at one of like our Russian parties or whatever, family parties. And she knew I was graduating and she offered uh, an internship. Okay. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I've always been, I've, Every, you know, I think it's every Tuesday, all the m- movies and music comes out. You go, I would go to Walmart and Target every Tuesday to get my VHS or my DVD. Uh-huh. So I was always a fan of film and television. And um, it was the furthest thing from my mind of reality of, of working in it would ever be possible because nobody in my family that I knew of had connections into it. Sure. It was more the, the practical reality yeah. of like, this is what you'll likely do. Just yeah. be comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she she said that, you know, take an internship. You know, we'll talk about it. And then I had, when I was getting ready to graduate, I think it was in my last quarter, I had approached her and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that was my first reality check of, like, people talk in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, but I... Um, and But I graduated and I thought, like, well, if she could do it, I could probably sort it out myself as well. And I applied for different internships, one at a voiceover agency and the other at an international distribution company, different one. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and so I learned very quickly that that international distribution company hired me to move them from office to office as an intern, as we all learn at, sometimes. Um, and then the other one, after a, like a month of doing data entry, as an intern, they hired me as their office manager. And that was kind of my first big exposure into casting because I realized very quickly that I hated the agency side of things, but I loved the actors that I worked with. Okay. And it was, I was seeing the same 50 actors come in and do their, and voiceover is a very different world than theatrical. Yeah. So it's a much, it seems like a much smaller world. It's very, it's much it's smaller and, and it's, yeah, it's a tight knit community, yeah. I think. And the idea of like, there are no, there are no parameters that you have to like fall in line with because Mm. it's like physically you look a certain way based on the character description. That's what you are, you know, that's what you're considered for versus voice. It's like, there's no, that you, nothing will hold you back. If you, you can't replicate somebody else to, you can, can to a degree, but that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. Like you can do whatever you want in that room. And it's, it's like, it's an amazing thing to watch and to listen back later. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it about the agency side that you it was too administrative too political i mean i mean at now knowing what i know that stuff still stands with casting but it's it's there's way more of a creative outlet 
with casting. Okay. So, um, so I was talking to voiceover casting directors on the phone all the time, and I was thinking, wow, this could be, there must be a theatrical side to this. Mm-hmm. And so I just started doing my homework and and uh, I basically did what every actor does of like sending out resume packets and holiday cards and building a website. And, and now in hindsight, I realize I probably didn't, didn't work for me because everybody thought I was an actor trying to get in with casting. <laughs> but I would genuinely wanted a career in casting. So um, the final thing that ended up working for me is I started crashing workshops to meet associates and casting directors. And, and that was the thing that worked. Okay, and how were you? So you were you were scoping out the trades. You were yeah. on Craigslist. You were seeing when these things were happening, mm-hmm. and you would just show would, up. You'd pay sometimes. Well, no, I because so I would come in, and I would ask the workshop if it was okay if I. I'm, I said I have no interest in acting. I'm not an actor whatsoever. I'm just here to meet the associate or the casting director. And most times they would allow me to just sit in at the beginning of it. And then I would just leave after I introduced myself to the associate. And, um, or, um, I tried to like reach out to the associate ahead of time and be like, I'm going to be there. Would love to meet you. (laughs) Yeah. And what were you having conversations about? What was, and, and what kind of came out of that? Um, it's just, it was just very general conversations of what my interests were and getting to know. Cause I mean, I didn't know that much about casting going in. And, you know, looking back, there's so much that I learned just on my first job that I had no perspective, no, there was no scope, you know. Yeah. Um, so uh, after the, the the one that kind of ended up taking, he's not in the business anymore, but the the associate that ended up taking me under his wing, he, he essentially, like the first time we met, he connected me with an actor who was producing his own short film. And so I helped him with the casting process. And then any time over the next year, uh, anytime this associate had a commercial or a short film that he was casting, he would let me sit in and just learn by osmosis. Great. Yeah. It was uh, like, I don't know how else I would have done it if if that hadn't happened. So it sounds like you hustle a yeah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> and from and from what I can tell with your career, cause, and, and I want to get into a little bit of it later, um, you, know, you worked with April Webster for a very long time mm-hmm. while simultaneously casting your own projects, yes. short films, features, working from an assistant as to an associate to a casting director on some projects. Mm-hmm. What is it about, wh- why, are you, why? Because I know, I know so many people in this town who talk yeah. a lot about, I want to do this thing. Mm-hmm. You just figured out a way to do it. You did whatever it took. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing. I mean, it comes from my family for sure, of my parents had nothing when they came here mm-hmm. and then I saw them build businesses for themselves and nobody handed them anything so it was like just make it happen on your own so that that ethic and that mentality came from my family for sure um, but when I got into this industry it was very clear like there are so m- there are very few opportunities and if if you don't happen to know somebody to get you in there it like it it just won't happen so it's not about like already knowing somebody it's about creating those relationships and and for me these those relationships that I started in my first my first job or before my first job have still been like we're all good friends and we all help each other out now so it's it's that idea of just like let's all build something together sure and building that community absolutely that comes up together Mm -hmm. that's cool um so one of the things that I've, I've keyed on in a lot of the conversations that I've had is how important taste is 
mm-hmm. to casting directors because you guys are essentially one of the first steps after the script and the director and producers are on board. Mm-hmm. Casting directors are handed the script and said, hey, we need to fill this thing out. Right. And, and you're one of the biggest things that you bring to the table in that situation is your taste. Right. What are things from early on in your life, from your VHS days, that cultivated that taste it's very difficult for me because i'm a it's like a mixed bag completely so i mean i was a huge i love john hughes movies i grew up on those movies i grew up on you know the romantic comedies that my mom watched i grew up on a bronx tale like they're uh, the godfather like they're all i'm very all over the place in my taste but like as a casting director i know that i like like edgy gritty raw stories yeah you do (laughs) um so that's what i gravitate towards like i also love comedy but we're typecast just as much as actors are so yeah it's very rare that i get approached for a comedy okay so like because i've watched a few of your movies Mm -hmm. um uh, specifically slight and the ashram and bumper and Mm -hmm. they are gritty and yeah. there's some darkness in, in a lot of those. What kind of cultivated your love for the dark and the gritty and the more a very real? sheltered child. <laughs> you were. Yeah. But I mean, it, was, it wasn't until I was in like high school, college that I really started delving into the gritty films and, and stuff like that. It was very like my mom liked her romantic comedies. My dad liked his godfather. But, you know, it, at the same time, it was... I wasn't really exposed to all of those things. Um, but I, I don't know. It's, it's For me, it's really hard to say. I'm I'm v- very eclectic in the things that I've been watching. And like especially lately, it's a lot of foreign films. I'm yeah. very much all over the place. <laughs> well, I think that that helps anybody in this industry, really, yeah. if you have a broad scope yeah. of the things that you like. Uh, you know, there are the people who want to just do their B horror and they right. they love that and that's their game and they they stick to that and more power to them but I think that you know when we talk about people like April Webster who mm-hmm. has done a very very broad scope of of projects mm-hmm. I have to imagine that she's similar mm-hmm. in that um so we'll use that I guess as a bit of a segue into talking about because that was it, it sounds like that wasn't necessarily your earliest work that you did in casting. With April. With April. I did. It was. That was yeah. your first. The, okay, I, so the, Alcatraz and, uh, let's see, uh, Super 8 yeah, were so like two of your first projects, Super huh? 8 was my very first, which was <gasps> What insane. an awesome first project <laughs> to be a part of. So the kind of the lead-in from the associate that took me under his wing, yeah. um, he had called me, it was, I think, the end of February of 2010, and he said, send me your resume. I have the job. Like, this is it, finally. And um, I send it. And I'm super excited. And 15 minutes later, he calls me back. Just kidding. They want someone with experience. It's a huge movie. Like, nev- like next time, we'll try. And so at that point, I called my dad because nothing else was working. And I said, if necessary, will you support me for a year? I have this great opportunity. Like, I need to quit my job. Because, like, mm. sitting here is not going to help. And so he said, yes. But after a year, you're going to law school. So um, nothing put the fire fire under (laughs) us. So uh, I uh, quit my full-time job. I volunteered myself as a full-time intern when it was still allowed. Um, And it's... um, and I, when I first started the job, I was told that I was working on the remake of Little Darlings and that they were doing 
uh, yeah, they were doing it again. And a couple weeks into it, I still didn't know anything about the project or who I knew J.J. Abrams was directing, but I didn't know anything else. And one day everybody comes into the office like losing it. They're freaking out. They're like, Steven's coming. Are the lists ready, Steven? And I'm still very confused and unsure of what they're talking about. And lo and behold, 15 minutes later, Steven Spielberg comes walking into the room. And I was then I learned what I was working on, that it was Super 8 and that he was producing and JJ was directing. And it was, yeah. And that was a crazy experience because typically you cast a movie in 12 weeks. We were on that movie for nine months. Just casting the kids. Just casting the kids was nine months long. Yeah. What do you do for nine months? (laughs) A lot of work. Yeah. I mean, it was an international search. We had casting directors in all parts of the country or the world uh, and the country. And um, yeah, there was something like, if I remember right, there were 16 or 17 casting people in the casting department on that movie. Yeah, because there was there was four of us in L.A. Mm. and then we had. Uh, New York, um, this Louisiana, this, the whole South. We had someone there. Um, Australia, the UK, I think South Africa. Like we were all over the the globe, um, and we saw thousands and thousands of kids. It was insane, but it was also it was very precious because those characters, those kids, were based off of kids that JJ grew up with. Mm-hmm. So it was very personal. We had to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is fresh out of the gate. Yeah. You're an assistant working on, I mean, you're working with Spielberg. You're working with JJ. You're an, and it's not a 12 week process. It's a nine month yeah. boot camp intensive. Yeah. What, what is that allowed? For, how many doors did that open up for you? And just, in just even with your understanding I of the casting process. It was definitely, it It kind of threw me into the deep end of all of that. Um, it was learning, you know, first of all, the confidentiality, how that all works. Because that's like when you when you know nothing about it. And then it's like every email, you got to be careful what you write. You know, everything, that whole element to it changes everything. Um, but just the casting process of you that you see everyone under the sun and it's not just actors it's actors kids it's um uh executives children then you go to skate parks and schools and and drama programs and and you do a whole search that way we did a viral search we did a a, a search at paramount like a open call at paramount and how are you keeping it under wraps if you're I if mean, you're passing was- that wide of a net <laughs> It was under wraps too until I think, I mean, there are little leaks along the way, um, but until we did the Paramount open call, it was kind of under wraps. Mm -hmm. And then everything just blew the lid off of it, basically. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's such an incredible place to start. And also, because we were right next door to Bad Robot, but we would be in Bad Robot every day. And being in that environment when you're first starting is, first of all, it's just, it's such a creative place. Yes, And everybody has such an open energy that they want to talk to to other people in other departments. So it's not There's proper collaboration. Yes. Yes. And that was one of the things that I love. They have um, a kitchen in the middle of the building. Mm-hmm. And it's because they want everybody to eat together. It's not 
it's you know little clicks by any means. It's you know very open and creative. And that's I mean that to to start off that way to get a real taste mm-hmm. of the top tier yeah. of this industry. Did you had no clue? No, I would have had a like, very different journey had I not started in that office. Yeah. Because I did, you know, I stayed, um, I worked with April and Alyssa. They gave me my first shot in casting. And they're very, uh, very much collaborators. It's like, obviously, they're the casting directors, but they want your opinion. They want to know, you know, if if everything is lining up, essentially, from the outsider's perspective, because that's what I was at the time. Um, Why was it that you were the outsider? Well, just because I, I was learning. Yeah. I, I knew nothing about what we were doing. I didn't know if I glorified the whole casting process or whatever it was. So it, I was learning and making sure, you know, I was all ears and eyes all the time. <laughs> Yeah. So you did that, mm-hmm. and along the way, you did Mission Impossible, uh, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. So I, I was a, uh, I kind of stepped in on that one you just did. because the uh, assistant that was working at the time, she had to leave for a little bit, and so I had come in as, as help for a part of the time. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, I mean, we'll go ahead and jump into <laughs> the nerddom. You got to work on Star Wars. Yeah. And you got to work on Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> like the reboots of both of these you were a part of. Yeah. It was Were you a fan of these projects before? Absolutely. Yeah. Def- I mean, that I think that's why before any of these projects came about um I think that was one of the reasons why it was so exciting to walk into Bad Robot in the first <laughs> place. Um but then the fact that, you know, I think we were working on um, the pilot of Believe when it became official that JJ was directing um, the uh, the Force Awakens, and so when that was a, I just remember looking at April of like, are we doing that? Can I can I be part of that? <laughs> but yeah, because you were an associate at that point uh, for the Force for, Awakens, for yeah. the Force Awakens. Yeah. All right. I mean, I've got so many questions. <laughs> the first, I guess, and we'll we'll harken back to a, a bit of a previous conversation is keeping it under wraps because mm-hmm. this movie was well under wraps yeah. for uh, a very long time. How do you keep that big of a project under wraps? Everybody knows about Star Wars. I think it helped because compared to Star Trek, which was also very under wraps, mm-hmm. um, for Star Trek, we didn't, they didn't want anybody to know about anything, not even that the movie that we were working on was Star Trek. Um, for Star Wars, it, I think they embrace the idea, like, let's just tell people that it's Star Wars and tell them nothing else. (laughs) Um, But it was, like, that at least made it a little bit easier that we're not constantly, like, I don't know what we're working on, you know? We got to share a little bit, but in terms of, like, the progression of the casting process, it was completely under wraps. And even just, you know, the process for actors coming in was painstaking. (laughs) How do you mean? um, Basically, when we were working with, the actors that were in the room, um, the actors would have to come in ahead of time, sign out their sides themselves, sign non-disclosure agreements, and then when they would come back to read, they would um, they would bring their sides with them, and we would destroy them. And of course, their okay. red pages, their names all over it. It's like it was they were not messing around. Mm-hmm. And then the whole other process for actors that were self-taping, 
it was a very intricate process with like sending secure links to sides. We like agents weren't involved at all. They couldn't know what their clients were reading, essentially the material. So it ha- we had to be talking to actors directly, especially when it came to notes, because there was nothing on the page in terms of character. So we would have to call, like all the actors would call in ahead of time. We would talk, they would ask their questions, and then they would either come in or they would throw down a self-tape. Quite the process. Yeah. A much different process than casting anything else, because usually you're going through the agent, you're going, like, they're capturing everything, passing it on. (laughs) But in that process, I think it was really eye-opening to see how important it is to communicate with the actors um, because there's so much that can get lost in translation and or just like it's a game of telephone ultimately. Yeah. So like watching April and Alyssa do it on all of the projects that I'd worked with them on, it, they've always made it a very open and free environment where the actors can always call and ask questions before they come in. And so that's just because I grew up in it. That's how I work now. That's still how you work. Yeah. That's great. What does that allow that the other casting process of telephone mm-hmm. doesn't allow for? It's just there's transparency in what we're looking for. I think that's what it is. Sure. And, and it allows, if the actor's calling to ask specific questions, it allows them to make their choices before they come in the room with the right information. And I think that's, obviously, we want to make sure that people can come in and, and adjust when necessary. But... I can't expect you to guess what's going on. Do you see the numbers of people who are more like you're like, yeah, that person could totally work for this role. Mm -hmm. Do you see a greater percentage of people that are better for the role in that situation? Yeah, I think we get what we need ultimately. Yeah. Versus hoping that they understand. It's like that it's it puts a lot of pressure on the actor on top of just like honing on, on their craft. You have to be able to have the information, your your motivations, your intentions, like those are all really important before you walk into the room. Absolutely. And if most times you're not given a script, so you need to kind of just make it up as you go. And if someone is giving the opportunity to ask questions, like that is the number one thing that I always tell actors. It's not a trick question if you have any questions, like genuinely <laughs> ask the questions, we're here for you. So back into Star Wars, you guys are casting a really wide net on this one as well, I assume, right? This is a worldwide casting. On The Force Awakens, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was definitely. How long was the process on this one? Um, we were signed on for 10 weeks. We were on it for 11 months. <laughs> <laughs> but the beautiful thing by the end of that process is I knew every actor in that age range yeah. ac- across the globe. It was great. So that's multiple projects that you've been on. Was Star Trek similar of being a longer process? It was. Um, it was a little bit of a longer process, and not not longer than The Force Awakens, but yeah. it was. Yeah, it was stretched out a little bit. And that's not typical at all. So you're getting a lot of non-typical experience, which have become my typical. <laughs> that's become your typical. Yeah. Why? How? You know, I, I don't know. I haven't really, uh, after Force Awakens, I kind of delved into TV more. Mm. So I haven't really had the experience of the studio film, the, what the norm is besides these experiences. Okay. So it's hard for me to say what else is out there, but these were very specific, like, JJ experiences. And I think that, you know, he he's very specific and he knows what he wants. If he sees it, he sees it great. If he doesn't, then it's a, you know, it's a different, you keep searching. So, you know, on Star Trek, it was 
casting we weren't quite there yet with Benedict Cumberbatch like we finally ended up casting him which we should have done long before but um you know it all turns out great yes yes it does <laughs> um so I guess let's talk about a little bit of television because mm-hmm. you've worked on some really cool projects you've been a part of it you mentioned earlier the strain mm-hmm. uh which I got into I'd never seen an episode before uh, before I was going to sit down to interview you, it is very Guillermo, yeah. which is fantastic. With this one, you came as an associate mm-hmm. on the pilot and then worked your way to uh, as a casting director in season three. I kind of want to delve into the process of casting a mm-hmm. TV show. Okay, You're on hiatus from season two going into season three. What is the first thing you're doing on season three? Um, concept meetings. Okay. That's, um, whether it's a brand new show or an existing one, we always have constant meetings of who is, what's new? What okay. are the next storylines? What do we need to focus on? Who are we looking for? Um, the Strain was a little bit different because they were book based on books franchise, a book based on a book franchise. Um, uh, so it was, we had to make sure we were fresh on the books in between seasons as well but they were also mixing books, as they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to know what was going on there, but also what, what's the next storyline that's coming up. So when we have these creative meetings, we'll have, we had them with Carlton, Cuse, uh, Guillermo would chime in as well, um, and, and we would sit down with the writers and get a sense of the characters, um, how many episodes can we expect these characters to be in, um, do, is there any familial relation to existing characters? Um, are there prototypes? Did you write this specifically for an actor that's already, you know, that you know or th- whoever it might be? So those are all questions that we have to ask ahead of time um, to get a sense of, you know, the kind of actor, how strong the actor has to be, if it's someone who's going to be a one-off, uh, if someone's going to be a one-off on a cameo. So uh, we just want to get a better sense of what we're looking for before we start up. So once you have those act- those items figured out, mm-hmm. you're getting the script for episode one of season three. What's the process for an episode of this kind of television? Because um, you have your main cast. Yes. And then they're continuing through the whole scope of the show. Right. You've got bit players that are coming in each episode sometimes, sometimes not, like what you've got going on right yeah. now. I guess the question is, on a typical week, mm-hmm. what sort of things are you doing? Like, what is the turnaround on creating um, an episode? Usually it's about a week. Mm-hmm. Um, the strain was different. I mean, we shot in Toronto, so we also had to deal with immigration. Um, so we had to be two weeks ahead of schedule. Um, now they have a whole different system in Canada that makes it a lot faster to get v- work visas, so it's probably different now. Um, but... For us, it was you know having those creative con- conversations at the beginning of the of each episode. Usually, it's the writer of the episode, the director of the episode, the showrunner, the line producer, and th- those are usually the main players that are on the call. Plus, if we have a counterpart in Canada, which we did, they would be on the call as well. So we would have to figure out you know the creative elements of the of the characters, but also the budgetary side of who's going to come from Canada, who's going to come from Los Angeles or New York in that case. Um, and, and then we kind of get our marching orders that way of what characters that we're going to focus on out of our office. Um, and then we 
take those characters once we've broken them down and we make internal lists of actors that we already know that are suited for the role. Then simultaneously, we'll release the breakdown to agents and managers and the frenzy begins of uh, emails and phone calls and, and you know, all the pitches. Um, and then we essentially take our two lists between the submissions and our internal list and merge them and, and start doing sessions, um, whether they're self-tapes or actual in the room or offer-only actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go through that process. That's probably a couple of days of pr- multiple roles at the same time. Um, and then we'll set a date of pitching to our our team and we'll usually only send probably five to seven choices for each role because okay it can get yeah. very overwhelming if Absolutely. you send 20 choices for well, every with the frenzy uh-huh. how many people are submitting to uh, a bit part on a show for a week if it's like a guest star yeah probably like three thousand yeah <laughs> so if you're getting called in yeah you're doing well. Yeah. You're yes. right for that role. Yes. Or, or you know, we or, think you are. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the thing. The I'm sure you know we get a very harsh rep in pop culture of yeah. being the gatekeepers that don't really care. But I think the idea is the relationship between an actor and a casting director is a long-term relationship. It, it's We keep trying actors over and over again, even though they don't book this time or next time or whatever it is. But we keep trying because we like them. We think they're talented and they could fit eventually. And so I think that the idea of like knowing when you're walking into a room as an actor, we're not your gatekeepers. We're your advocates. We're here sure. to give you the resources. And it it's a two-way street. Like you have to ask for it as well. Yeah. So I don't know why I went on this tangent. No, what were no, we talking this is, about? This is a great like because I th- I think a lot of the audience for this show is mm-hmm. going to be actors, and it's important. It's been important for me in my understanding of the process to know how it works. I mean, it's it's amazing that anybody gets cast in anything, right? <laughs> because there is, I mean, three thousand people getting sub- submitted. Yeah. For each co-star, and then there's three co-stars in a show, that's 9,000 people getting submitted that you guys are going through, that you're narrowing down to 15 people that you're then passing off that somebody else has to, and you're having to convince, and then there's other... Yeah, but even the idea beyond our just, like, our creative team, Mm -hmm. you know, there's the director of the episode, the writer, I mean, the writer doesn't usually chime in as much, but the showrunners, all of those people have to reach a consensus on who their choice is. But then you go to studio for approval and network for approval, and there's usually like seven to ten people on each level that have to sign off on that this choice is the right choice. And to reach a consensus over so many people, it is surprising that anybody gets cast. But I think that that's the idea of demystifying the casting process for actors because – they need to know when they walk in the room, whatever you're doing in this room is the most important part. The relationship that you have with the casting director and the office is the most important part and the choices that you make in the room. Because how are you supposed to control 30 other people's opinion that you you'll can't. never meet? You absolutely can't. Exactly. So I think it has to, it's not supposed to be a daunting thing. It's supposed to take the pressure off. It sounds more daunting for you. <laughs> it is. <laughs> When you're having to convince all of these people all the way up that ladder, and and actors don't ever think about that because the only experience they have is the five minutes that they're in the room or the ten minutes they're exactly. you know, so I think it's really important to share this process with yes. people because and I'm glad that you're able to sit down yes, with me and me willing too. to do so. Absolutely. Um, so jumping over to another show, mm-hmm. uh, Bates Motel. It's my favorite. 
it's <laughs> a really really good show yeah it's a lot of fun uh it's dark it's twisted the storylines twist and weave and the casting is really really good you got very lucky with that cast and the fact that they just had the chemistry that they do just as people on top of their performances it's because when did you come in to this one were you I was you, you were an assistant on the pilot mm-hmm. graduated up to associate in season three mm-hmm. and then come season four you became casting director yeah can you walk me through some of the aspects of what it is to be an assistant on a show like that then what it means to graduate up to associate and then how yeah. awesome was it to be casting director as well first of all it if I could work on a Bates Motel for the rest of my career, I would be the happiest person ever because um, it always felt like a true collaboration from the casting department into the, with Carrie Aaron as one of the showrunners. Um, she's the most wonderful person to work with and it's a dream for a casting director to be able to send choices to all of you know the the powers mm-hmm. and um, then get a text message that evening being like who's your favorite you know and that really it means a lot to have someone value your opinion but yeah. also like respect your craft as well because often casting directors kind of are, think that we're just there as like a, a filter a filtration system for the director or the producers but you know it's a real dream when you can have a true collaboration with somebody um, but growing from an assistant to a casting director just within that series was great to, to witness because it was also Carrie Aaron's first show as a co-showrunner. Okay. So it was awesome to see her kind of go through that transition as well of season to season. And it was with Carlton Cuse as well. So, I mean, Carlton has hands in every, you know, so, um, he's always busy, but to, to witness this was amazing. And, uh, being an assistant on the pilot w- it was great because, again, April is very much a collaborative person as well. Um, but it was very administrative heavy. Like yeah. you do the lists, you you, sch- you schedule the sessions, you make sure everything lines up. And, and you know, if someone asks you, you have an opinion. Otherwise, you don't. Um, but it, it was – but we always speak freely within the office kind of thing. Um, and then as an associate, it was kind of um, – I'll say that my responsibilities between being an associate on the show and becoming a co-casting director didn't really change much. I was kind of already doing what I was doing early on. So it was mostly of like running the day-to-day of the show, holding sessions, pulling people, pulling the actors that we're going to bring in, narrowing down selects. And, and so it was um, – because also April is very busy – as well she's yeah. doing a lot of projects <laughs> she's too. doing a few at a time um, yeah and she's wonderful at it you know so it was really nice to be someone that she leaned on and trusted to to get through the process you know um and so she we were always in touch and always aware of everything that's happening we're going through that process together um but it was very uh much a learning experience because I got to grow in my own casting skins and feel comfortable giving direction and doing all of these things when I was an associate that I just got to run with it kind of um, and build the relationships that I have and the trust that I have with the producers. So it was really nice. And is there more to come? Like that, that show is going to wish. No, I don't think so. Oh no. Yeah. We did five seasons as intended. That's Mm -hmm. how they had structured it when we first started the pilot. They intended it at five seasons. Yeah. I kind of respect that. Yeah. 
there's there's a lot of shows that are like you know what we're gonna go for 14 we're yeah, gonna we're gonna do <laughs> we're just gonna keep making this show until the wheels come off right so what are this is one you said you're very very proud of what are some of the aspects of it uh that you are proud of are so proud of you know i think the thing that made me really happy was that we got to embrace all of the actors that we've been trying to hire over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, And we really got to do that with this show because it was, it's not a show or it wasn't a show about finding the fanciest faces and putting them on screen, you know, the marquee names. It was a show about how can these actors get lost in the story like how you, how you as a viewer will not get distracted by these faces that you've seen a million times. So it was really nice for us to be able to bring in really strong actors that we've been trying to hire for years. Um, that are more unknown that have yeah. been under the radar for a while. And they're working actors. They're sure. just maybe not the marquee names, but that's what we needed for the show because it, it's about the story. It's about the relationship between mother and son, mm-hmm. you know, and that was the focus and having Vera and Freddie was just a godsend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long did it take to find the two of them? Um, Norman was a longer search, but I think Freddie was always on the, He w- we were always talking to him or about him in some fashion. Because mm-hmm. um, this was against type for him too yeah. at the time. He had well, been, he was so young and yeah. sweet kid. And, and like had always done like really, really sweet, loving, cute wholesome, roles. Yeah. yeah. This and then the did first. go real dark. <laughs> yeah, his I I remember his self tape that he sent in from the UK, and it was very it was very dark and very daunting, and it was it just felt right, you know. Yeah, you just know that this like no one's this bar has been set. That's it. How often are you experiencing that with self tapes anymore, as opposed to people coming into the room? I hate to have a comparison oh, on it, okay. um, yeah. because I think. If it's magic, it's magic. It'll happen wherever it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I But I did just have on the show that I'm working on now uh, an actor who self-taped from Australia, and it was one of the most magnetic auditions I've ever watched. Awesome. But that it, it's less about the self-tape environment and more about, like, it, there is an actor who is perfect for this role. Yeah. Ultimately. Like, there were a bunch of guys that came in and taped that were really good, and I thought they have a really solid chance of this. But the minute I watched the other self-tape, I was just blown away. So you just kind of know when you see it. Is that – does that happen often? Um, Where it's just somebody comes in and, like, that person, yes. Or is there a lot of – this person could, this person could, this person could. I think it depends on the role, to be honest. Yeah. If it's a really dissected, rich role that an actor can really dig their teeth into, then you can find that magic a lot easier okay. than if it's something that it's kind of a surface role mm-hmm. um, that anybody can do, really. Um, but, like, there, I'm just trying to think. I'm like, a good example is Benedict Cumberbatch when he taped for, I mean, he taped on a friend's iPhone in his friend's kitchen. Like, there was nothing glitzy about the self-tape, but mm-hmm. what he did in that was just amazing. You know, he took a completely different approach than any actor that had taped or read in the room. So... How do you mean? I mean, it was Khan, so it was yeah. a, the villain. And I think most people, while they didn't know specifically that they were auditioning for Khan... They, they right they <laughs> they were kind of they went into the mustache twirly villainous arched character kind of thing um but when he did it 
like he cried in his audition and it was something that was so it just it hits you so hard because it's so unexpected that it and that's what it's like it is magic in a sense of you know things that you that hit you in a different way that's i've never heard that story that's fascinating (laughs) so now i want to step back away from the assistant associate in the television and i want to talk about some of your independent films let's start with slight because that's that's 2016 is when it came out. Mm-hmm. You cast it in, I'm assuming, 15. 2015. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who do not know what Slide is, you're wrong. You need to go watch it. Uh, it was directed by J.D. Dilliard, starring Jacob Lattimore as Bo, Storm Reed as his little sister Tina. I hope I say her name right. Seychelle Gabrielle. Seychelle Gabrielle. Yeah. Sashir Zameda. Cameron Esposito's in there. Love Cameron. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nominated for an Audience Award at Sundance in 2016. So this was JD's first feature. And a great job out of the gate for him. And he's got a lot of good things on the horizon. How did you get attached to this film? Uh, it's probably my favorite story. Yeah. Um, because I've known JD since he was an, a receptionist at Bad Robot. Okay. And so I'd known him, I think, for five years by the time we started working on Slight. Um, and I, it's funny because over the years, we've always, we short film scripts had passed, you know, through emails, and but nothing ever happened. Um, and he had directed a music video, which I didn't have anything to do with because they already had the musicians. Um, but it was, it was great because it was a really nice aligning of the stars in a sense. Um, he had come to me, I think we were like I, uh, chatting on on Messenger or something, and he had said, uh, you know, I sold my first script. They're, they're going to let me direct it. I want you to cast it. And I was over the moon for him. And so to work with him, he's a dear friend. It was a great opportunity. Um, and then um, a week later, I went with a couple of girlfriends who are all in casting as well, and I met this uh, other cast, well, she was an associate at the time, um, Lindsay Weissmuller, and we were we were lamenting about our, our careers of how we want to grow, and, and she worked for a different casting director as an associate, and we were like, we should do something together sometime. And she called me um, shortly after, and she said, I'm going on vacation for six weeks with my husband, this producer that I've worked with before, he wants me to cast his movie. Um, you know, it's starting imminently, and I'm going to be gone for the first six weeks. Um, do you want to partner up on this? I was like, sure, sounds great. You know, I'm on hiatus. Why not? And um, that following Monday, JD IMs me and says, you know, did the guys from Slight email you yet? And I said, I'm sorry, what was the name of the movie? And lo and behold, the producer had worked with Lindsay. JD wanted to hire me, and we already partnered up on the movie. That's perfect. Yeah. So very serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> so that was how we officially came on. But you know, J- JD's been a good friend for many years. So what was the process of casting this one? Because Jacob Lattimore is incredible in this movie. Yeah, he was really he was really the perfect choice for it. Um, because he had like the, the journey that he has to make as a character yeah. is somebody who's slight, who's who's kind yeah. of back away from everyone, taking care of his younger sister, yeah. and then somebody who has to fight back at the end. Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, amazing to see him make that journey for himself. Um, for us, it, it was great because I was coming off of Star Wars, 
And so I had seen every actor in that age range that could have potentially been right for this already. And so it was now just kind of pulling. But the thing is, we hadn't seen um, Jacob for Star Wars because he was too young at the oh, time. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, but and he had so come off of, what, Maze Runner and... Uh, his big one was Black Nativity. Was, okay, okay. And then he did Maze Runner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I hadn't met Jacob before, and I didn't meet him during the Star Wars process. But we started reading all of the guys that were remotely close to what we needed for this character, and we kind of slowly narrowed it down. And there was still something missing, and we couldn't quite figure it out. And so I remember I, was, I called uh, Dan Kim at CIA, and I said, who am I missing? Like, there's, there's somebody I haven't seen. I can feel it. Like, we haven't found our guy yet. And he was like, well, I have this, this guy. He's an actor, but he's like, I represent him as a crossover through music. music. Um, and so I said, great, let's see him. And just the first time he walked in the room and started doing the scene, it was clear that it was him because he has this nice balance of a kid his age that has the vulnerability, but also kind of the cool swagger that, that this character needed. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, we had... Because um, he made a magician cool. He did. Like, <laughs> he really reminds me a lot of JD because JD is a musician or a, a magician as well. Yeah, and a musician a little bit too. But um, but yeah. So I think it was interesting to kind of see how how similar they are. Yeah. And I think JD taught Jacob a lot of magic himself and cool. had other people. So it was a really cool process to see that. And Storm, um, who played his sister. Um, I had met her in a very informal, informal setting of, of a class or something weeks before um, starting the movie. And then she was the first girl that we read uh, for the role. Literally the first the one. The first one that we read for the role. Cool. And she was just like. And she set the bar. She set and the then... bar. She like started. She, first of all, she was so much younger than she is now. <laughs> it's really weird to see her now and how much she's grown as a human being. Um, so she was. She, I think she was like eight or something, but she just started crying in the middle of her audition. And it was the most devastating thing to watch this adorable child just completely break down. And so I think it was very clear that she was the top contender. And then it was really nice to see that she was in a wrinkle in time, you know? Yeah. So it was like, <laughs> that's really good. That's helpful. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another of your independent films that I watched was mm -hmm. The Ashram. Mm -hmm. um, this one was directed by Ben Reiki. Yes. Uh, starring Sam Keeley, Melissa Leo, who, mm. holy shit, she's good. She's <laughs> Cal <the horse>. Penn, <laughs> uh, Radhika Apti, mm -hmm. um, and Hera Hilmar. It is a fantasy thriller set in the Himalayas uh, against an ashram led by this guru, Guruji, uh, with strange powers. And it follows uh, Sam Keeley, searching for his missing girlfriend after getting a cryptic message from her. Um, and it's full of all sorts of really fun twists and turns. I really enjoyed this one. And, and there's something that I love about understated sci-fi fantasy films. Mm -hmm. um, it, this one to me fit in categories like Another Earth, like mm -hmm. I Origins, like Monsters. Um, there, there are these beautiful emotional journeys that are set against something mystical that allows you to really explore mm -hmm. the human condition, but in a way that you know, just a regular drama about a guy going to India, searching for his girlfriend, and 
doesn't allow you to really get to the core of. I want to talk about how you got attached to this one, too, because this is another first-time director. Yeah. Um, Or first-time feature director. Yeah. He was actually, I had known him for a few years before uh, he started that film as well. Um, Alyssa Weisberg, she had connected me to him because they had gone way back. Um, and he was directing his first short film. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I just started working with him on the short, and it went well. It was a horror movie about called Somebody's Watching You. Um, and it went to like a little horror festival. It was great. Um, but then years later, he finally had a, a financed feature. And so he came to me and, and said, let's do this for real this time. Yeah. Um, and so it's I think that's the biggest takeaway from my journey thus far is – having the opportunity to work with my friends. And I think that that allows for honest casting. And How do you mean honest casting? Just as the, opposed to what? In the sense what? of like having to, to step on any eggshells or walk, you know, okay. in that sense of yeah. like, I can just be real with JD. I could just be real with Ben and be like, this is why you don't want this person or this is why you want this person that you're not seeing in this five minutes of demo reel. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can, and that's the thing, that's why they hire casting directors. It's not just to filter things down. It's to know the actors and their, and their capabilities. You know, if someone, it's really hard when you've known an actor for many years and you know what they're, what they're able to do with their craft and someone to discount them so quickly based on uh, like a scene, you know, sure. a three minute scene. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what happened? On a Tuesday after driving in traffic yeah. all day long. In the, yeah. So it's like it, you have to be able to have an on, honest conversation of like you don't want to to say no to this person yet. And this is why. And when someone's willing to listen to you, it makes the process that much more fulfilling. Yeah. Well, in this one, because you had Sam Keeley mm-hmm. who led this. I thought he did a really wonderful job. He's great. Um, and you had Melissa Leo, who again is incredible. When you're casting such an unlikable character, because her mm-hmm. character is a horrible person, right? What sort of things are you looking for in the casting room? And is she coming in and reading for this, or no. is this? A... So she actually was attached when I she came was. on. She was okay. Yeah. Okay. So that was already set before I came who, on. Who else was it? Was there anybody just else? Her. Attached? Just her. Mm-hmm. So was she contingent on actually getting the movie made? I think she helped a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think having her definitely helped the situation for financing. Okay. Um, but that was really nice because you really do get to embrace the indie filmmaking spirit mm-hmm. of introducing other actors because once you have that one yeah the marquee yeah. that anchor um because sam had done a bunch of stuff he's already, been all over the place but, but he's, he's never, never led been, yeah, so, yeah. He, so that was like a really nice thing and i i met sam uh when i was working on as an assistant or as an associate at that point um percy jackson and the sea of monsters and he was still living i think he still lives in ireland um but he we had flown him out to test for the the cyclops role so i think he's he's been doing fine since he didn't get that yeah um but it was like he was such uh an open spirit when he first came in uh, for that movie. And so he was just memorable in that way. Mm. Um, and so anything that was right that I was able to not have to have a visa for, I would always ha- like pitch him for. So it was really nice. And he taped and he was wonderful on his tape. And and so it was nice to know that we had someone who was really strong to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're just past an hour here. Um, so I, do you have a moment? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Okay. okay. 
I want to, well, I've got, I've actually got one more question about the ashram. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about films that have such a small, tight cast like this, because mm-hmm. this is, I mean, on the, on the IMDb credit list, there's, what, 12 people? Yeah. When you have so, so few, but really, really juicy roles, mm-hmm. does it allow you to go after and, and, and bring in these people that you've talked about, that you've tried to get hired, that you, that you see something in, mm-hmm. and are they chomping at the bit to do so? Yeah. With these kind of scripts? I think we read a lot of actors for all of the core roles. Like, we really went through it to see who was right because there was so much heart to these characters. Even though it's this thriller, you know, mystical thriller almost, um, you really needed to have someone that had the strength and the passion behind it. So we definitely read a lot of the actors that I've been seeing over the years. Um, and I met somebody new through the process, Hira Hilmer, Um, she turned out like we ended up booking her, but coincidentally she was Sam's. She yes, but she's also Sam's girlfriend. (laughs) So it worked out nicely. But um, I hadn't known her before this process, and so I I learned about someone new, which was great. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So the next and and the last movie that we'll talk about Mm -hmm. before we uh, wrap this thing up is Thumper. Yes. I watched Thumper last night. Thumper was really good. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really great aspects to Thumper. Uh, directed by Jordan Ross, starring Eliza Taylor of The 100, mm-hmm. uh, Pablo Schreiber, Lena Headey, uh, Ben Feldman, and Daniel Webb's, uh, Weber, mm-hmm. who, God, he's good. He's probably he's one of my favorite actors really, right now. Really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know him, you do know him. He's in 11-22-63. He was on The Punisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... He just has a way about him that is so, I don't know what the word is, real? Is yeah. so He's very real. He has an intensity about him, but also like a great vulnerability. Yes. It's that balance that I don't know how he does it. And it like it's so fun to watch, but also he's the nicest human being. So yeah. it's like even better. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so this movie is about teens in a low-income neighborhood that work for this violent drug dealer, Cooker, and this new girl who comes into town that kind of messes everything up. Uh, Eliza, she got to stretch a little bit in this one yeah. from, from her role for the 100. Uh, everyone works really well with one another. The climax kicked me in the face. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the, the normal question of how did you get attached to this one as well? This one was... Uh it was different for me. It was, uh, there's an agent at UTA that I work with, uh, that he's my covering agent, that he usually p- does the s- pitches and submissions th- for um, indie films over there. And we work so well together, and he threw my name in the hat for this one. Okay. Um, which was really nice. And now he is my agent, thankfully. Nice. <laughs> like, we're, d- we're heading in the right direction. This worked out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, so I, he introduced me to Jordan and to Fernando and Roberto, who produced the films. Um, and yeah, we kind of, we, we got to it right away. I mean, you put, like, these are, the, the, the cast in this Mm. is fairly recognizable, but also not, like, they're on that fringe of being, like, those people. Yeah. How did you come across this cast? Well, Daniel, I had seen in, um, 11-22-63, which April cast, Yes, And so I was already a fan of his after mm-hmm. watching him there. Um, Pablo Schreiber has been one of my favorites for as long as I can remember. Um, he is 
such a chameleon. He yeah. is so talented. He's a big theater actor, you know. And now it's so nice to see him on American Gods and Den of Thieves. And it's like he's really having an Coming opportunity. Into his own, yeah, for sure. Um, and this was different for him. I I heard that his audition or not the audition his um, clips from Thumper actually helped him get Den of Thieves because they didn't think that he could go to that crazy place that he goes into. Um, And he does. And he does. And he does it well. That's awesome. So so because this movie allowed him to stretch out, Mm -hmm. allowed him to really show something that he normally doesn't get a chance to show, that allowed him, like now people see him outside of the the pigeonhole that he yeah. may or may not have been in. Because he was always a very deep and dark actor, mm-hmm. but I think because there is such a physicality to what he was doing in Den of Thieves, they didn't know if he could go to that extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, but he showed it in Thumper. He was fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be okay. So this is another first-time feature director. Mm-hmm. Is there much ushering these directors towards what needs to happen and the cast that needs to be? for these films or are they coming in with a, a fairly good idea of what they want? I mean, it depends. It's Every process is different. Every yeah. film is different. But I think um, the nice thing about working with first-time directors is that you kind of get to create their, um, their idea of how casting works and how, and how much of a collaborative process is, it should be and it could be um, because they don't, and that's the thing in film school, they don't, cover casting at all nothing <laughs> um they don't teach you how to work with actors and no, they don't cover casting at which all. is crazy to me they but should be having you want to see a dragon come up over there <laughs> well we'll, we'll you teach you that, that. <laughs> <laughs> um but so th- i think that's the thing they don't know how to work with us they don't know what our job is and they don't know how we do our job so i think it's um showing what we do even though they're not with us when we do it yeah you know it's a very labor heavy job you know, from the beginning of checking availabilities, having creative conversations with agents and managers and making sure these people that we're talking about and getting the producers excited about are realistic options. And that's usually the hardest part of also bringing directors down to reality of, no, Helen Mirren is not going to do your movie. I know it's a great script, but... But she could. <laughs> that's what they say. Let's try. Um and also just like timeline we need to know like if you have a start date we need to make sure that we fall in line with that start date and we're not letting this process go and go and go and that's the biggest struggle because like well we don't want to pull the plug just yet on helen Mirren. let her read like pull the plug yeah (laughs) i promise it will be for good reason so uh is there anything that you want to talk about anything in in uh, uh in the sense of, is there any advice that you would give to somebody who kind of doesn't know what aspect of the industry they want to get into, but mm-hmm. casting seems like it might be a thing? Um, it's hard. I think if casting seems like it could be a thing, I think you explore it. And it's harder now because of the whole internship thing. Because you can't go away. and be like, I'll work a year for free at an inter- right. as an intern. But I think what we're... So I'm one of the board members for uh, Casting Society of America. And um, we as a community are trying to create a space for 
people to learn about casting and to train as assistants. And we're in the process of developing that program. We just did our first beta test um, for like the introduction to casting. Um, and so we're hoping that by, you know, summer of next year, we're in a position to consistently be running these classes where people who are interested, genuinely interested in a career in casting can, you know, take a I think it's a 32-hour course and be in a position to step into a casting office and know what they're doing. And right. I think that that's, you know, that's the... How do people find out about this when the next one is? Or? Um, I th- They will probably make an announcement on castingsocietyofamerica.com. Okay. So and, and we're partnered with CSA. Oh, great. So Perfect. When, when that comes up and we'll when we can put know. it out on the episode, uh, we'll definitely do Absolutely. that. Um, and I think the other thing is like just the state of our industry now as the, and this is to kind of push the CSA side of things as well as we're also we also have like the um, diversity and inclusion committee mm-hmm. and we're doing open calls for that all the time. We just did one last year. So I think it's making sure that, you know, you, as an actor, you know what is going on with the casting community as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jessica Sherman, thank you so much. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. Likewise, thank you. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jessica's going to run this town one day. If you want to find out more about anything we talked about in this episode, check out our website, placingfaces.com, for all the links in our episode show notes. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, love, heart, thumbs up, and share the show. We really appreciate it. The more numbers we get, the better off we do. The better off we do, the more shows we can make. Help us out. Share it along. Tune in next week when we chat with Marsha Goodman, our first primarily voiceover casting director, and she is one of the legends. This is the lady that gave Maurice LaMarche his start on Inspector Gadget, or Billy West, very early in his career. How about Captain Planet or the Care Bears? Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego? Or Madeline? The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog? Super Dave? The real Ghostbusters? If any of those made your childhood like they did mine, Marsha is certainly someone to thank. You know, and another show that I love that I was really proud of, the one I won my Emmy for is Madeline, Mm -hmm. which is something that I'm so proud of because it was one of the few shows that was girl-oriented, female-oriented, little girl-oriented, although boys could watch it too, but she was a strong little girl when it was all, you know, superheroes and and boy things and and G.I. Joes and everything. Then there was Madeline. And they were all the little girls were so supportive of each other, and they were loved each other, and they were helped each other in you know difficult situations. So that was wonderful. Placing Faces is powered by Collaborator.com, a media production service connecting media professionals to companies, brands, and agencies, allowing you to scale your production based on your needs. You can get on Collaborator and find all the right people, from filmmakers to writers, directors, actors, producers, anywhere in the United States. Video professionals find work and companies save money. Have you ever wanted to be a casting director? Or do you have a project that you need casting direction for? Check out our partners, the Casting Society of America, for more information. They have introduced us to so many of our guests while serving as the hub of information about this branch of the filmmaking industry. Visit their website at castingsociety.com. If you have any feedback for us, we'd still love to hear from you. What casting directors do you want to hear from next? What films and TV shows do you want to learn more about? And which casting directors that we've already talked to do you want to hear us talk to again? I've left the door open, so let us know in the comments. Thank you so much for listening, and be well.